Well, welcome everyone to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We especially wanted to welcome all of you who've maybe never heard of the Someone to Tell It To podcast before. We're just so grateful to have you with us. This conversation is just so good. For those of you who do tune in week in and week out, you hear say this all the time that we could talk with that guest forever. And, and Chola absolutely falls in that category because this conversation was just so meaningful. I had originally heard Shola speak for the Harrisburg Regional Chamber. And when I heard him speak, I said, you know what, we just, we need to get connected with him. So we took a shot, we reached out to him on LinkedIn and he just, he is who he says he is. And that is such a joy. We want to be around people like him who are just authentic, they're real. We talk a lot about vulnerability and openness, especially as men in, in a world where we're not always given permission to be ourselves or to feel what we feel. And, and so I hope today, more than anything else, that everybody who hears this episode will feel compelled to share their stories openly and honestly and, and authentically. Well, when we uh, run across someone who speaks our language, so to speak, who, who just understands so inherently what it is we do, why we do it, it just fills our hearts with joy. It just makes us very excited, very, very passionate uh, about our uh, effusiveness and, and our gratitude for, for a guest uh, like him. So Shola was was tremendous, and we hope that you will find that to be the case too. We conversation was supposed to last about an hour. When we were approaching, uh, you know, about fifty five minutes into into it, we realized we had only asked him two questions. <laughs> that, that those two the two questions we asked, and we didn't even ask the first one until fairly well into the conversation, just because just picked it up right away and and talked about things that that really mattered to us, went very deep, uh, you know, and uh, into the conversation, and you know, talked about things that were the really we just think really significant. So we're grateful for that, grateful for him, and grateful for that you are listening uh, to this conversation today. We, we really hope you'll love it just as much as we did. So thanks. Hi, I'm Megan Bachmore, the Membership Services Director at the Harrisburg Regional Chamber and Credic. For businesses who need tools to grow and connect, we provide quality connections, education, exposure, cost savings, and advocacy. We had the pleasure of having Shola Richards as our keynote speaker at the Chamber's largest event of the year, Vibe. Our members found his discussion about workplace culture and civility inspiring and impactful. We are excited to see him partner with one of our members, someone to tell it to, for this conversation today. We are happy to support and sponsor this episode. If you would like to learn more about the Chamber, you can go to our website, harrisburgregionalchamber.org, to find resources and schedule a time to connect with me. Hope to hear from you soon. Shola Richards is the CEO and founder of Go Together Global, the best-selling author of Making Work Work and Go Together. And he is a civility writer with a passionate worldwide following. His articles and wildly popular Go Together movement email series have been read by readers in over 160 countries, and his work has been featured on the Today Show, CBS This Morning, Forbes, Black Enterprise, Complete Wellbeing, India, Business Insider Australia, and in numerous other outlets all over the world who recognize him as an authority on workplace happiness and engagement. As a speaker, Shola has shared his transformative message with leading healthcare organizations, top universities, Silicon Valley, the motion picture industry, on the TEDx stage, and in his greatest honor to date, last month, he was invited to testify in front of the Select Committee on Capitol Hill to share his expert recommendations on how to bring more civility to Congress. Last, but certainly not least, Shola is a father, husband, identical twin, and a self-professed kindness extremist who will not rest until bullying and incivility is extinct from the American workplace. Shola, welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast today. It's really a joy to have you with us all. Likewise. I It's, it's a pleasure and I think we all need someone to tell it to. <laughs> we, I mean, I, I just, I think we need to um, just be able to have the conversation and I'm happy to get it started today with you all on this call. 
Well, the, I don't know if you know where our name came from, someone to tell it to, but the Australian author Miles Franklin wrote that someone to tell it to is one of the fundamental needs of human beings. And uh, we, we believe that. That's why we took the name. And we're hoping that uh, to, to convey that message uh, to, to everyone we meet mm. uh, so that they will understand that and know how important being able to tell it to someone is, uh, is very vital. Uh, for all and I mean, you think about it too. It's like the courage to yeah. tell someone that you're struggling. I think in the past, gosh, 19 months of this global pandemic that we're still fighting through, I think one of the things I've seen in my travels and my work is that people need someone to tell it to, but maybe they're afraid to have that conversation or they're afraid to jump in, or they don't want to admit that they're struggling or they feel that someone else is struggling more. So why should I share my struggles with someone else when they know they're struggling more and they keep this in and it's created a mental health malaise that is just really affecting the country and the world right now because people don't feel safe or willing or able to tell it to other people. That's right. In fact, we just had a very recent conversation with someone who needed someone to tell it to. And mm. the person revealed some things to us that we believe they have not revealed to anyone else before. In the listening work that we do. Got it. Okay. Um, someone revealed, it just revealed some, a few things to us that, uh, that were pretty, pretty intense and mm -hmm. deep and uh, very intimate and we're hoping that helped. We're hoping that the person being able just to get it out and say it perhaps for the very first time was, is making a difference in their life. It, it does. I mean, I, I <laughs> clearly we have a lot to talk about because we haven't gotten past the title yet. We haven't even um, asked the question like, yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we haven't gotten the first question yet. But I just think that's really because when I saw the podcast name and we were talking about in the pre-show earlier, I, I saw this and I was like, what a great name. I didn't know there was a deeper meaning behind it in terms of the origin story of it, but it is something that I feel a lot of people right now need and, you know, myself included. I think we all have those things that would be made easier if someone else were there to help us carry the load by having someone to listen to us. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get we'll get there in this interview in this conversation today, but uh one of the things that really stood out to me when I first heard you speak is just your level of openness and your vulnerability on stage, which is just Gosh, we just need so much more of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, Tom, to your point, I think <laughs> I'm still stuck on the title. I think one of the reasons why I've been more willing to be vulnerable and share what's going on is that I found that people have an interesting idea about people who are on stages, right? They assume they have it all together or whatever the heck you want to believe. So when you're on the stage and you're sharing a story that is vulnerable and raw and messy, it gives people who are listening almost permission to be like, it's okay not to be okay. And because it's okay not to be okay, I can then go and maybe talk to someone or have this conversation or share with my significant other or my boss or my kids or whomever, a therapist, that I do need some sort of help. That's what I'm hoping by sharing this, it will create that level of okay, I can talk to someone. There will always be people like, dude, you're an oversharer, too much TMI, man. No one's know all that. Whatever. I don't speak for them. I, I, I speak for the ones who are actually trying to navigate their way through this world. And, and this navigation is not going to be easy or a straight line. It's going to be hard sometimes. So if my story can help someone to reach out to someone, then that was a successful talk as far as I'm concerned. One of the things that in our organization, someone to tell to, uh, we, we have a team of listeners who are just available for folks and we call everybody someone. It's kind of a branding thing for us. Everybody's That's someone, nice. everybody's someone in the someone to tell it to you. You're someone, mm -hmm. I'm someone, Michael's someone, we're all someone. And, and we have a team of compassionate listeners that are just available for folks, uh, who reach out through our website. So, I'm just thinking as you have all these opportunities to do as much speaking as you're doing, we would imagine there's a lot of people that just it evokes a response as it did with me mm -hmm. to reach out. And so we we just want to say if if people who are hearing your talks need someone to tell to have them go to our website, someone to tell to dot org, because that's why so we started. That, <laughs> sorry, I, got, I, I jumped because I'm so excited about this because that is something that I am going to be doing immediately. Like literally immediately, because I think that's one of the challenges, Tom, is that 
I get a lot of people who are very kind and reaching out, but there's a, a volume number. I can't yeah. respond mm-hmm. to everyone and I, and I struggle and I want to be able to help. I love this. So I'm sorry. I really apologize for cutting you off, but I, I tend to get super excited. Like I got to <laughs> tell you this right now. Um, I will absolutely make a point of that. You're sending people to, cause I think there's a lot of people who want to be heard and there's a wonderful opportunity for the two of you gentlemen and your staff to be able to help. So I'm definitely going to make that recommendation starting like literally today. That's why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's really, that's really kind of you. We really well, thank you, that. quite frankly. <laughs> really, <laughs> sure. thank you. All right. We will ask you a question now. And oh, see, yeah. See where that goes. Well, we're here, right? Why not? <laughs> Maybe it's the only one we'll ask. We'll just, you know, <laughs> go off on. Uh, but any, but here we go. And, you know, the first question is a big one. Um, yeah. we, we like to just jump right in. You know, we're going to go go to depth uh, as quickly as we can. Several months ago, uh, you posted a blog that was entitled, While I'll Never Walk Alone. Mm-hmm. And in it, you wrote, twice a day, I walk my dog Ace around my neighborhood with one or both of my girls. I know that doesn't uh, seem noteworthy, but here's something that I must admit. When I'm walking down the street, holding my young daughter's hand and walking my sweet, fluffy dog, Mm -hmm. I'm just a loving dad and pet owner, taking a break from the joylessness of crisis homeschooling. So we like that. That (laughs) was was pretty cool. As a father of four four small kids. Yeah. 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 Mm. So, So then you went on to write, without them by my side, almost instantly, I morph into a threat in the eyes of some white folks. Instead of being a loving dad to two little girls, unfortunately, all that some people can see is a six-foot-two, athletically-built black man in a cloth mask who is walking around in a place where he doesn't belong, even though I'm still the same guy who just wants to take a walk through the neighborhood. It's equal parts exhausting and depressing, you wrote, to feel like I can't walk around outside alone for fear of possibly being targeted. If you're surprised by this, don't be. Shola, please tell us more about why you wrote this and share with us, if you would, the common sense points you included in the blog about white privilege, about Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, about racism, reverse racism, and the need for people who are white to speak up about racism and discrimination. Just a simple question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not only, not only will this take the rest of the hour, but we we'll have right. to schedule a part two uh, That's just right. to get yeah. to this question. That's right. You know, no, I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I actually, I'm really grateful for questions that go deep. I, I'm, I, I like to think deeply and I like to talk about things that truly matter. So to give a little bit of the history behind why I wrote that. So I actually wrote that last year. So I wrote that shortly after George Floyd's murder. So I'm what people or psychiatrists and psychologists like to call an HSP, which stands for a highly sensitive person. So I feel things really deeply. I think you're talking, so in, you're talking to two of them too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I figured out, I figured that we are fam when we talked about yeah. this. So like it makes me feel good. In May, 2020, there are no sports on TV. Everyone was locked at home, sheltering in place. And to see the constant nine minutes and 29 seconds of a man's life being snuffed out under the knee of a police officer on repetitive loop. It was, it was really damaging to me. And what doesn't get nearly as much coverage and, you know, comparatively speaking, I get it was what happened with uh, Christian Cooper, the guy who was walking through the park in New York city and a woman was like, Hey, she's like, Hey, put your dog away. And she's like, call police and all this type of stuff. Those happened just within days of each other. It created an environment where I was just exhausted. Mm. I mean, exhausted by all of this. So I'm a writer. So I went on Facebook and I wrote this post. And what I was really specific about with this post was that I noticed something that I think a lot of my dear white brothers and sisters just weren't aware of. Like, we're like, why are you so upset? It's not like you died. It's like, I don't understand. Like the And as insensitive as that question may be, as looking at them, like they just really struggle to understand because that could have been me. So I wrote about like, hey, some things that you might not understand is like I live in West Los Angeles and thankfully in a nice, safe area. But I've walked around my neighborhood alone before. And when I did dress like in a sweater or whatever, I'm like wearing like a hoodie or whatever. And like he doesn't live here. He's casing the neighborhood. And it's caused 
trouble for me that I just don't want to invite into my life. So when I go for a walk, I'm making sure that I'm with my wife. So then I'm a loving husband with my daughters. I'm a loving father or just with Ace and I'm a loving pet owner. And the initial implicit bias gets interrupted because the bias is strong. If you see someone who's like, oh, what's he doing walking this neighborhood? I don't see a whole lot of black people living here. What's going on? And when I wrote that article, it was meant to help open up people's eyes to these ideas of what people may take for granted that I unfortunately can't. And I think that gets to the earlier point. And we're like some other things that came up, like you mentioned, Michael, I talked in the article, the post and the subsequent post that I wrote kind of answering some really challenging questions around this. And if you're curious, if you're on LinkedIn, find me, um, we can connect there and all my articles are there. But one of the things that came up was like, you talked about white privilege and I, I don't understand. I hate that term. I went here over and over. I hate that term. So annoying to me. I worked hard for what I got. How dare you say I didn't work hard. And so I had to help really unlearn some things that people may be struggling with. And one of them was like, listen, white privilege is not saying that you didn't work hard. White privilege is not saying that what you have gotten in your life has been unearned. I would be annoyed too if someone said it to me. No one is saying that. All it's saying is that there's certain things that some white people get to, most white people get to enjoy that people of color don't. I, I use the example in the article, which I think is an easy one for people to wrap their minds around. My dear friend lives right across the street. I'm literally pointing at his house. It's right behind my monitor. Um, white guy, great friend of mine. He was on vacation and he... <laughs> He reached out to me. He's like, hey, Shola, I have a bunch of Amazon boxes piled inside of my front porch. Do you mind running across the street, grabbing my packages? Uh, and when you get okay. and bring them back to your house and then I'll swing by your place. When I'm done, I'll pick them up. Is that cool? I'm like, no, no, there's no way I'm going to a house that is not mine, picking up packages that do not belong to me and then walk them back to my house. Do you see how that could play out poorly for me? It's like, oh man, Shola, I get it. Mm -hmm. That is an example of white privilege. My white brothers, uh, I mean, and sisters, they would not really be concerned. And, and Tom and Michael, be honest. If someone said, hey, listen, can you just run across the street and grab some packages for me? Like, yeah, sure, what the heck, no big deal. Mm -hmm. But for me, mm -hmm. I have to think about that because it's, the difference between potentially life and death. So to summarize this and go on forever about this, white privilege is not saying that your life hasn't been difficult. It's only saying that the color of your skin is not contributing to your life difficulties. And so I'm a, what I try to do is take complex matters like that and Black Lives Matter and racism and all these white privilege and try to explain it in a way that is easily understood and you can then be like, okay, I get it. Because if you have a story behind this, then you're just not going to engage in the conversation. So I want to knock that out of the way so we can start having meaningful conversations and begin the road toward healing. So many questions I want to ask as a result of what Please, you Please, I'm open. And I'm here. Just thank you for everything. <laughs> I mean, gosh, that example is something that everybody should be able to just immediately wrap your head around. And I, I think the one thing that we've been learning more and more of just we're, we're avid readers and just become more, we just can't implore people enough, just become more educated. There's always more education around every issue for that matter, but especially around these issues that have been in people's faces uh, more so in the last year uh, on our television screens, et cetera. So I'm just curious, like what kind of a response did you get, particularly from white folks when you posted that? Wow, that's a it's a loaded question, but I'm 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 here for it. I love that question because this is not statistically accurate, but this is just what I'm going to go with. So I would say because the article went mega viral, like beyond anything I, I mean I've ever experienced. I guess virality you could argue like if it's been shared like ten thousand times, that's like you know people are really into it. This was shared. Uh, close to six over 600,000 times. So it has oh, like been wow. read by millions of people all over the world. So when you think of those, those numbers, and then when it got elevated because it got on CBS this morning with Gail King and all these other plays today show, 
it elevated it to more uh, eyes and ears to be able to kind of pay attention to it and hear it. So I would say, statistically speaking, again, this is just one man's opinion without actually crunching the numbers, 97, 98% of it, overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly supportive. In that support, there was a lot of, hey, I don't know what I need to do. What can I do? Um, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but the, that stuff, the 2% that weren't positive when you're working at 98% positivity rate, that's like, that's good. I'm mean, talking about COVID, but talk about like not virality that way, but like we're talking about like positive feedback, 98% is pretty good, but the 2% were so caustic and so hateful and so deplorable it's hard to put in the words like the evil, you know, like just like I hope you and your kids get cancer and die, like, you know, and getting messages like that and threat. I'm like, geez, I'm getting threats. Well, technically that's not a threat. I'm just going, oh, okay, well, oh. but stuff like that where it's just constant emails and social media hate. It was a lot and it was exhausting. It's weird how the human mind works, how we're wired to focus on threats and pay more attention on threats than we are on positive things. That goes back to our hunter-gatherer days where in order to survive, it's like if you're a prehistoric person walking through and like, oh my gosh, like there's an apple tree. There's a saber-toothed tiger over there. Like, oh, forget him. Apple tree, you're dead, right? So like <laughs> the idea is we're wired to worried for threats. So my mind was perseverating on these ideas about all these awful things being said. And quite frankly, and I haven't really told this to anyone. See, some of the there you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to make a joke about that earlier. You know, know, yeah. It's just too easy. It's too easy. You got to make it. But I really haven't had a chance to really talk about this. Um, the hate that I received kind of drove me off social media for a while. And I ended up having um, anxiety around posting anything for fear of, that viral experience, there's so many good things that came from it. So I want to be really clear. Mm -hmm. But the things that weren't so good were damaging. And that's a highly sensitive person, as I explained earlier. Seeing that over and over again and seeing people wishing for your death and the death of your sweet children who've done nothing wrong, it just makes you think like, what the heck is going on with humanity right now? So the whole point, and I'm so I kind of had this epiphany while I was sitting. And on the couch one day, shortly after it went out, it's like, if I didn't receive that negative hate, there would have been no need to write the article in the first place. I mean, that's the whole reason why this is so, this is meaningful is because there are pockets of people who find this stuff to be dumb or, oh, look at you being a victim, crying all the time and like, no, it's not a, being a victim. I'm not curled up in my bed crying. I'm just sharing my experience. I mean, it's like, hey, this is real. My mom taught me. God, man, she said. Oh, here we go. We're going to hear stories about your mom. We've heard uh, all oh, the so stories, stories about, about your mom, dad. But, you know, story about mom and dad. But, you know, they both actually said this. So it's they actually mentioned this. They're like, you know, the worst way to live life is to go through life saying, hey, if it's not a problem for me, then it's not a problem. And there's a few worse ways to go about life than that. And I agree with my parents wholeheartedly. It's like, you have to be willing to engage in problems that don't just affect you or people who look like you or vote like you or whatever. It's like, how do you find a way to be helpful to humanity at large? And that's really what I'm trying to do. That's why I jumped back into it after I had my little sad, depressive, feel sorry for myself state. What did you do in those situations? I mean, you have people in your corner. It sounds like you're processing some of this as you're you're talking to us today, but we would imagine you'd also have some people that you can really go to uh, to be able to process those feelings and, and kind of keep you, quote unquote, in the game. The attention I was getting, and this goes back a little bit to the original point that Michael was making. I was starting to get people reaching out to me and they're asking like, hey, you know, like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? And tell me what I'm supposed to do. And all of a sudden, instead of my anxiety around what's happening on social media or in my inbox being a priority, I'm busy instructing people on how to be an ally and sharing thoughts. And 
I had so many people reach out to me who, for the lack of a better way of putting it, were suffering from some form of white guilt. And they're like, hey, I just need to, oh my gosh, like just unload on you. So about all this stuff and why it touched me and they're crying. And I'm like, I, uh, I mean, when I'm struggling myself, I was like, I, I thank you for that. But like, like when people are like, well, tell me step-by-step, step, what do you do? I was like, man, Google, <laughs> like, I mean, I'm struggling too. And it's like, and I think that's part of the challenge that I had to learn in the past year. I've done a lot. I think the situation reminded me of the importance of self-care yep. and boundaries. I did have uh, an inner circle of people who I could reach out to, but I also think, you know, because the pandemic has been so hard on everyone that I felt like repeating my same struggles over and over again wasn't helpful. So I really leaned into therapy and that was very helpful and having someone to talk to who's impartial and willing to listen because sometimes people just have their own stuff to go through. So part of me always feels a little guilty doing that. That's why having someone who's impartial, willing to listen can make a huge difference. Yeah. And that comes back to our team of compassionate listeners, because we we've talked about this with our team because we hear such heavy things, whether it's issues of race, racism or depression or just a pervading sense of loneliness Yeah, day in and day out, our compassionate listening team. I mean, they, they just hear some really hard things and, and it, we all, this comes back to our mission say we all need someone to tell to. So even our team members and including Michael and I, we just, we have to have people in our corner that we can tell it to. So it's right. just a, it's a good reminder for all of us. It's also why you know one of our uh, foundational ways of operating is that all of our listeners, and that includes Tom and, and me, we all have a partner. Uh, mm. So that no one listens alone. So that what is heard, which can s- sometimes be very heavy, very difficult, mm. uh, very um, sometimes scary, um, no one has to carry that you know, alone. And, and it also gives the, the, two, the two listeners the ability, you know, without breaking confidence, to be able to talk about what they heard and process it to help themselves. Because, they're, I mean, Tom and I are each other's partners in, 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 in our listening work, and there are so many times we've left a difficult, you know, and, and intense, intense listening, time of listening, and we've had to say, what did we just hear? Mm. Uh, what did we, what, oh my gosh, you know, how, how do we even process this? And it is so helpful to not carry it alone. And we know that not every situation in life can, can be where you or always have someone with you, a partner to hear something or to help someone be with someone. But, but when that is possible, it's amazing how it makes the interaction that much easier. Oh my gosh. That much easier. I, I, I love that format too. That's really, really smart. I think sometimes when, cause I, I, I fancy myself, uh, to be a good listener. I think that's why a lot of people share things with me, no matter how dialed in you are, some information may hit one listener, maybe different than it hits another. And then you have an opportunity to compare and you're like, Oh, wow. I, I heard that a little differently. I think that what she was really saying was something around this. I'm like, Oh, I get it. I missed that part. Or maybe it just didn't hit with you the same way they hit with their partner. But the idea of doing this as a service for people, I just think is beautiful because (laughs) I would have been on the phone so quick if I had known about your guys' existence (laughs) in June and July of 2020, because those were really, really tough times. And I feel like, there's so much that doesn't help with this. Like when I think about social media and the idea of everyone putting their highlight reels on, on for display. And then you start feeling like I'm the only person who's struggling. Look at everyone else with their kids who are seven years old and already know three languages and like are eating like, you know, kale for every single meal. And like, it was like, (laughs) you you start to think like, I must be failing. I must be doing something wrong. And you mean you don't eat kale at every meal? Cause I, I Oh no. I mean, I mean, I have it for two of my three meals. (laughs) No, I wish. You don't get that athletic bill that that we mentioned earlier from eating kale. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's all straight burger. Burgers and fries, man. The kiss kiss right here. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. 
Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. I remember one time Michael and I were giving a a talk to a pretty large group of of men. And this is probably the only time we actually ever had an open an open heckler in the audience in the crowd uh which was interesting um we we do a lot of speaking publicly and so this was just the first instance something like that ever transpired and just knowing the more people get to know us uh this is tom again speaking my personality i tend to be a little bit maybe a little bit more direct than michael at times michael is just like he's compassion compassion to the nth degree let's put it that way uh and and so this 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 Guy gets up after our talk, and and we did a time of Q and A. It was a small enough group we could at least do that. And he just he you could just look at the demeanor on his face. I mean, we read a lot of body language to be a good listener. You could just sense that he just was not. He just didn't connect with what we had to say that day, which is fine. But um, the way he asked the question was just very direct and probably authoritative. He just basically said. I don't agree with what you, the, your mission, essentially, because we link everything to someone to tell to. I don't agree with your mission because what, I, what you're doing, I think, is pink. Words like compassion and empathy. And so I nudged Michael. I'm like, let me handle this one. I <laughs> <laughs> wish I was there. I want, I want a piece of this guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I did it, I think, in a, in a, a direct way in response, but I, I hope I did I responded with compassion and empathy as well, because obviously for him to respond that way, something we would, in the words of Fred Rogers, knowing him, more of his story, there's something terrible must have happened to him to have that mm-hmm. kind of a, like a reaction. But I, I just emphasized that that hasn't been our experience actually, since we started someone to tell yeah. to we're in our 10th year now, we've had a lot of men reach out. In fact, we just, as Michael mentioned earlier, we were literally on the phone call right before this podcast with a man from prison and, oh, and, wow. and, and just him being able to process what he's going through. That hasn't been our experience. And so I said, you know, the numbers don't lie. If you want to talk in terms of analytics, I and mean, we've had a ton of men reach out. And actually, we initially started this thinking we would even have more men. After hearing your, some of your story on stage and then listening to your TED Talk, et cetera, Kind of what what has led you to have this confidence to talk about some of these matters, uh, whether it's depression or racism or suicidal thoughts, just to kind of catalyze this movement of openness, especially as a man. Yeah, especially as a man, because what what this other other guy said is, why would men come to you? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the words like compassion and and empathy and and grace and kindness and whatever. So that, those aren't those aren't words men relate to. The idea of compassion and kindness being seen as feminine traits or something like that. And if you're a man, you're less of a man if you engage in that. And it's like, oh gosh, I would love to unpack that with that gentleman too, is understand like <laughs> even through questions, like what why do you think this is something that men don't do? Or why do you think there's no value in caring for your fellow human beings? Like these are so for me. We're all struggling. And I mean this sincerely. No one really has it quite figured out yet. So when I get on stage or in my writing or one-on-one conversations or whatever it may be, or small groups, I feel the struggle is what connects people. I think that's one thing that people feel like, wow, I actually, I would never have assumed that about you. So when I facilitate conversations, very similar to this podcast interview, I like to go deep. I like to go deep because once you start realizing what drives people, what makes them tick and what their struggles are, they're more willing to open up, to build trust and be able to connect with what's really driving their behavior. While it's painful and uncomfortable sometimes to share stories on a stage that may make people have thoughts about, oh, I don't know if this guy's stable. I don't know if this guy's okay or whatever the heck people want to make of my, my story. I'm willing to set that aside 
for what this could possibly do for someone who's struggling. I had a woman come up to me and I wrote about this um, in the opening of my second book, Go Together. I was giving a talk and I shared my story. A woman came up to me after my talk and I noticed her standing by the, the back door of this huge auditorium. Everyone's sitting and she's just standing and you can't really see, but she looks like she's wiping tears from her eyes. Long story short, she found me afterward, um, right before I was about to go to the airport. And she's like, Shola, I need to tell you something. I was not going to make it to see my next birthday. And it's Wednesday and my birthday is on Saturday. And I have like pills and vodka and I'm just going to wash it down and oh, end. Wow. And I said, unless I got a sign before Saturday that there's a reason for me to go forward. Wow. Um, when you shared your story and you got really vulnerable and it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And that is something that I really needed to hear because when I tried to talk to others, no one took me seriously or no one really listened to my story because of what you said on stage. I have put those pills away. I'm good. We're still in communication and she's doing fine. And it makes you think like, how many more of those are out there who never reached out to me or never told me or so it's easy to do that. You know, when I'm focused inward, like, Oh, it's weird to share my story, whatever that would make it hard for people to do that. But when you're, when you're thinking about serving others, it comes so much easier because it's like in the service of someone else, if I can share my story, it can be helpful or instructive or take a little bit of the load off. Why in the world would I hold back? I mean, you guys probably know this. My nickname is Brother Teresa. All right. That's what people call me. Yeah. So I'm here for it. I'm here to make sure that I can give a little bit of a lesser load. So that's why I'm not afraid of these conversations and compassion, kindness, love. Yes, love. Mm -hmm. And I think men now demonstrating this more clearly at drop off, I see so many dads not just hugging, but kissing their sons and kissing their daughters. And there's like just hugging them up and just like the, the real forms of visible affection that, you know, maybe when we were younger, that was seen as like, Oh, you just give your son a punch in the shoulder and say, go get him, champ. But now people are getting much more warm and loving. And I'm just great to see all of that happening. So are we, so are we. So let's talk about mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we love your nickname, Brother Teresa. We saw that a couple of places. I just love that. But in our first book, we talk about Mother Teresa and how she obviously spent the bulk of her career in the slums in yeah. Calcutta with the poorest of the poor. And we remember in our first book, we talked about how like after her private journals had come out, she just talked at length about her her doubts about if she felt like she was making a difference in the world. We'd love to just ask you like, do you ever doubt that you're making a difference? And and what do you do when you have those feelings? I mean, obviously, when you have an interaction like you described in the back of the room, that that that's when it makes perfect sense. But we would imagine there's also days or sometimes weeks or even months probably where you just don't you don't feel that. And what do you do? Like most people, I definitely feel like there's some days where it's like, is this working? I mean, is is this thing on? Like, are you guys with me? Cause I I feel you get a standing ovations and love and all these wonderful accolades, but then you'll get the one that's like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, or people getting up and walking out of your talk and like mid talk, like not like to use the restroom more like, and it does mess with you. I mean, I think there's times where it's like, Oh man, is this really resonating? You know, is this, I'm doing some work with, uh, uh, with a lot of with a couple of toxic um, workplaces that are struggling and it's like, man, I don't know if this guy's equipped to help us and this, that, and the other. And you start to think like, man, like you almost put aside all the success stories, all the things that have worked. So what keeps me going is honestly just almost maniacally focusing on service. Like, I mean, when the person's walking out of my speech, like, that's a me thing. You don't like me. You don't like what I'm saying. That hurts my feelings. I, I tried hard to do this. And blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, I can't be for everyone. There's some people who don't like vanilla ice cream or whatever. And that's the people don't even like ice cream at all. I am going to focus on 
the people who are there to help. There's there's 300 people in the room. One person got up and just like waved his hand at me like you're a clown. And the other 290 plus people are seemingly enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. It's hard to be nervous when your heart is on service. I wish I knew who said it. It's really good. Stick with service, stick to the plan. So I remind myself, if I'm getting so caught up in my own feelings, it's more, I'm making this about me. And this is not about me. I'm not here to be like, hey, I'm Shola, I'm this and that. I'm here to help people, man. And I'm here to do it as much as I can. So when things do get hard, I just recalibrate back to service. And that helps me to kind of stay focused on what it is that I need to do when things get kind of dicey out there. That's a, yeah. such a good point because we run a nonprofit. I mean, someone to tell to is a nonprofit. And we started out that way intentionally because we just made a commitment early on. We were just never going to turn anybody away based on their inability to, to, to need our services. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a commitment we made early on. And as a result, at times, it's, it's been a challenge to raise the necessary funds, especially as our team grows and as more people reach out for care and support. We need more listeners. We more, need more trainers, et cetera. But in those moments, I know Michael and I have had to, as the, as the CEOs, co-CEOs, we have to come back to, like, essentially, why are we doing this? Yep. And as, <laughs> as the organization has grown, we've we've been doing less of the day-to-day listening like we did in the early years. It was just like it was just the, the two of us. Know, the first couple of years, it's just us yeah. doing everything. Wow. And just, and so, you know, we averaged like, I think three or four listening interactions every single day for the first several years. And, and now we're, I think we're over like as a, our teams, like well over like 15, probably encroaching upon 20,000 listening interactions. And it's just, it keeps growing. Wait, wait, over what period of time? 10 years, 10 years. No, so that's that's insane. That's yeah. incredible numbers. That's a huge, huge growth. My God. Yeah, yeah, and and we actually just put out a, a, a newsletter blast about. You probably heard of Malcolm Gladwell in one of his leadership of books. He talks. I was speaking at a yeah. spoken at an event with him. Yeah, oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. So he in his yeah. book Outliers though he talks about ten thousand hours. You can right behind you know, me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're an expert once you can do something for ten thousand hours, and we're you know we surpassed well, that well beyond yeah. that. But anyways, the point being is just that in those moments, we we need to, Michael and I, go back to why we initially started this mission. And it's for the dude in prison that we just talked to. Um, You know, we we did it for people who who need our services. And that's Mm. it's all about service. So when we're in those vulnerable places, you're right. That is that's where we need to go. More so than ever. And I think that's part of what makes this such a interesting dynamic that we're all working through. I mean, I cannot wait to like start sharing your names from the mountaintop in terms of what it is that y'all do, because there's so many people who struggle and don't know where to go. And just having that conversation kind of begins to open the door. But to your earlier point, Having a mission that can ground you and bring you back when those really rough days, because I mean, Mm. I'm sure the two of you over the 10 years have had dark moments like this isn't, this is not having the impact that I thought it was, or I don't think people are, I mean, really engaging with this, the level that it is, or are we really making a difference and all those self-doubt that every successful business has experienced, by the way, it just kind of helps to realize that we're not alone. So I, I mean, the fact that y'all have made it to 15 to 20,000 listening sessions, how many of those people's lives have been changed immeasurably from someone taking the time. One thing that I, I find so interesting, I spoke at a suicide prevention conference recently, and one of the most common things that cause people to consider suicidal ideations is that they don't have someone to talk to or they don't feel that there's anyone who would listen. So like just having what you do is a huge gift to a lot of people. The, we talk so often about the epidemic of loneliness that has mm-hmm. gripped this nation and really the world. Sure. In so many ways. And it, it is that people do not have someone with whom they can confide in, that they they know they're not going to be judged. They know they're not going to be tried, tried to be fixed, uh, be told what to do. Um, they, they, they know that they're still going to be loved. Fewer and fewer of us know that. Oh, yeah, it hurts. It does. I mean, it's like, I think with the pandemic too, and you throw in that layer of things that we took for granted in 2019 and early 2020, like things that mattered, like being there for weddings, funerals, 
births of children, physical touch being ripped from us in, in such a cruel fashion where we can't hug people. We can't even see people's whole faces. And like all these things have made for a really challenging time. I mean, they said something like loneliness has the same effect as like a, a pack a day smoking cigarettes. habit or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's scary to think about it, but that's really been exacerbated through the pandemic. So it's like, yeah, we really need this now more than ever. Your timing um, and being here just could not be better time for what the world needs right now. Well, one of our favorite books is this one and see if I can show it here. Uh, it's the book of joy. The book of joy. Man, it is so good. You need to add this to your shelf. If you've I, never I read it. Yeah, I'm making a noise. Who is this book by? So the it's, book of joy? it's the book of joy, lasting happiness in a changing world. And it was written, I want to say maybe even 10, five, years, five, five to 10 years yeah. ago. But it's oh. it's it's uh, it's about the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu. Oh man, I'm oh, yeah, I mean, so I, I can't I, get on Amazon fast enough. Oh to get man, this, this thing. book and we read so much, and it's same. We, it's probably the one of the most meaningful books for, for sure. The top five books that we've read in the last yeah. decade. We've both read it several yeah. times. Yeah. Seriously, uh, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so the fact that you two gentlemen just said that, like, I mean. Yeah, go I on. am not kidding you. I'm like, I will have that Amazon Prime. I'll have it in my front step by hopefully two days. Well, <laughs> well Doug, Douglas a- Abrams, his book sales are just going to go through the roof oh, yeah, after yeah, today. No doubt. I'm on it. So anyways, just it. the premise of this book is that for an entire week, they those two iconic figures were brought together for an entire week just to celebrate um, whose birthday was it? Michael? It was the Dalai Lama's the, the Dami, birthday. Da- Dalai Lama's birthday. And so they come from oh, wow. vastly diver- different perspectives, religious social, et cetera. But the, the commonality is just the level of suffering that those two men have experienced in their lives is just, it's almost otherworldly. And yet mm. the whole premise of the book is all about how they rise above the, the, their level of suffering through joy. And so they get into just how much, how much a lot of the cultural influences that we have talk about how happiness is very different than joy. Happiness mm-hmm. is very kind of circumstantial and joy is just so, so much more lasting, but they talk yes. about, and now I'm going to try to mispronounce this word again, Ubuntu <laughs> in the book, <laughs> Yay! but how coming together is just essential to help us rise above our, our situations. And so we just love for you to talk about your book and, 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 and what that word means to you. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I'm really grateful for the book recommendation. I am not kidding when I tell you I'm on that because I'm an avid reader. So I love stuff like that. You know, Ubuntu truly, there's no real one-to-one equivalent in the English language with this word. So it's like the best way to describe it, it's, it's the height of human kindness, compassion, and connectedness. It is really, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I often think about this as if we're trying to heal this world. Um, I'll give you a good example of Ubuntu in action. There's a, there's a really wonderful TED Talk um, that brings up Ubuntu. I actually have one on Ubuntu too, but it's another one. Um, I was going to say, that's a br- pretty good self-promotion I, there. Because it I is know, your, talk, like, your TED Talk like, is fantastic. <laughs> so everybody yeah. needs to oh, listen to that as well. Oh, thank you. I mean, but seriously, how there's a wonderful TED Talk on Ubuntu that I do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, who does that? No, no, no. But I, please get a chance to check mine out if you're open to it. Um, but there is a, it was, I don't think the TED Talk was specifically about Ubuntu, but there's a really great story about Ubuntu in the talk. Long story short, there was a gentleman who fell into, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, it's in the book, fell into a river um, in Africa, and he got severely injured by one of the crocodiles that was in this particular, almost ripped his leg off. A guy named Solly, S-O-L-L-Y, just jumped in, didn't even think about it, jumped in swam past crocodiles, grabbed this injured person and brought him to safety. And I think afterward, asked some questions like, what, 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 what would make you do that? It's like, and it's like, it's the spirit of Ubuntu. It was like, if, if what affects you affects me. And if you really think about it, that's what truly this world is about. When you think about crisis, when horrible things happen, like 9-11, for example, when the World Trade Center towers went down and people were scrambling for their lives, 
when people were helping each other, it wasn't like, oh, hold on a second. Are you Republican or Democrat before I reach out a hand? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Like, like we're not, there's none of that going on. It's just like, let me help you. You're a fellow human being. And it's strange that during times of the most dire circumstances, we truly see our humanity for what it is. They see our connection for what it is. It's in moments that we get separated from that, where we have these divisions that keep us separate from each other. So I wanted to take a time to write a book about real practical ways that we can reconnect, reconnect with our fellow humans. And sadly, in 2021, I don't know if I've seen, I'm 46 years old. I've never seen the world as divided, or at least the country as divided as it is currently. And in so many different ways. And it's going to take some real significant effort to really start bridging the gap of getting people to realize, hey, it's not that we have to ignore our differences. We need to celebrate our differences. I think it's important. But in the celebration of our differences, still reminding ourselves that we're human beings that all want love and respect and support and kindness and to be heard these are things that are going to help to bring us back together. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to lead in the way. The book, Go Together, talks a lot about that. And I think that's what we need right now to start healing the world, to really get that and start engaging into this really important work. One of our absolute favorite quotes is by an absolute hero of ours is, is, is the late Fred Rogers. He would always say, you can't help but love someone once you know their story. Yeah, And so kind of, great. Bring, kind of bringing things full circle back to some of these people that we highlighted. So the, the gentleman in the back of the room, when we give our talk and he says that our work is pink or you talk about the 2% who can tend to be naysayers, it's really learning how to engage those populations with loving kindness. And that's not mm -hmm. an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's, it's not, but you know, as the quote says, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Right. So it's like when someone is hurting anyone that would think to make that comment, or the people who are going to say, I need to get cancer and die. Like there's something not, there's a story behind that. People yeah. don't wake up in the morning and be like, let me go hurt people today. Right. So it's like, clearly there's something there. And the ones who are willing to work with that and, and sit in it, hey, and I get it. That's not for everyone. So people are like, I don't have time for that. And that's completely understandable. However, in situations where maybe there's an opportunity to engage, if you want to, if you're up for it, you may be able to find that there's something driving that behavior that someone is just it's like a cry for help, for lack of a better way of putting it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's sometimes we do have to offer kindness to those people because they're the ones who need it the most. Well, Shola, first, I want to say this. Congratulations. We've, we're encroaching on an hour of, of oh my talking. Gosh. We asked two questions. The whole <laughs> okay, time. That's, that's all we got to. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that is a record. And that's what, no, it's not crazy. It's wonderful. This, we love this, that, that the conversation could just flow so smoothly and easily and, and um, passionately. And, and that's tremendous. But we do have one more, one more kind of question. So sure. it just, uh, you know, to close this out, um, like you, we want to change the environments that so many of us feel stuck in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's why we like talking, love talking with others like you who also want to change the culture. I mean, that we're kindred spirits there because we don't, we believe as we know you do, it doesn't need to be this way. People don't no. need to be unhappy. They don't need to not live with kindness. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. We, we believe that, and we believe that listening well, is a foundational element of deeper, more satisfying relationships. We really do believe that. Mm -hmm. So how would you see, how do you see listening as a vital aspect of cultural change? I think listening is not only a vital way of cultural change, it is quite frankly, the only way. <laughs> I think what is causing the divisiveness, the pain, is that people are not feeling heard. People don't feel validated. They feel alone. They feel invisible. All bad behavior is an unskilled expression of an unmet need. Mm. So mm. this is important because if you're not getting your needs met, 
then you're going to show off or show out in a way like the person did at your talk where things, oh, this is stuff is pink or the people were sending me hateful emails probably as we're sitting on this podcast. There's a lot there. Listening though is the antidote. When people have an opportunity to hear, to listen with not just hearing, let me be clear. I don't want to use those words interchangeably, but listening to someone, acknowledging them, there's so many tools of active listening are just like, hey, you know, wow, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like this is what you're experiencing. Am I, did I capture that correctly? That may be the first time that someone has ever been yeah. heard or validated in that way. How healing is that to feel that you're not invisible? How healing is it to feel like, oh my gosh, I matter. And that someone is actually validating my existence on this planet. Listening, unlike any other tool, I think gets us there faster kindness, compassion, all those wonderful things are all wrapped into the baseline of listening actively and doing it sincerely. So if we're going to change the world, it starts with listening and doing it from our heart um, as much as we can. We've used this phrase, we've kind of coined it ourselves, that people don't heal if they don't first reveal. And That's really good. Yet we would also argue, though, that people aren't going to reveal if they're not heard, if they're not truly listened to vulnerability right. starts with listening because people, if they feel safe, if they feel comfortable, they'll be willing to open up. But if not, there's shame, there's judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why you got to remain in curiosity and stay out of judgment. And I think in anyone who's a good listener does that they stay focused in curiosity. It's like, I wonder what would make someone do that. Or I wonder what something like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Clearly he's completely deranged. Like, it's so funny how we tend to try to make sense of minimal information instead of just focusing on being curious and being open so that you can really gain more information instead of just shutting the conversation down. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Okay. So I, I, if I hear another thing about this show, like I know I need to watch this, like literally everyone's like, dude, you need to see Ted Lasso. And like, I'm like, all right, the next thing I'm going to do is go After on Apple next, Plus yeah. and just get this thing and just watch it. Because I, I literally hear you need to watch the show probably at least three times a week. It'll be your greatest form of self-care right now is to go watch okay. that show. Because they use this phrase over and over throughout is just be curious, not judgmental. Oh, so oh, there you go. Ted Lasso for the win. I yeah. need to yeah. check this guy out. Yeah. Man. That's my next. I need to get this. This holiday season, once I'm done with all my travel stuff, the holiday season is incredibly slow for speakers. Um, at least it is for me. Um, I am going to just kind of unpack and start yeah. watching some of this stuff and just chilling. I'm looking forward to it. Well, this has just been the best. It really has been. You've you're delightful. Just absolutely oh, delightful. Likewise, guys. <laughs> and, uh, Thank you so you know, much. It's just so easy to talk with you, so easy to listen to you, oh. and so easy to, to connect and, and on, on, a deeper, on a deeper level. And that's what that's what we cherish. And thank you for, for being so open, vulnerable, uh, being so willing to go to those deeper places. And we could, we could probably do a series of podcasts with you. <laughs> hey, we, there's we, time for a part two. We'll do right. it. Because <laughs> there's just so many more things to talk about, so many more things to ask. But thank you for being with us today. Thank you for everything you said and, and the spirit in which you say it, because you're, you're speaking our language. Keep serving. Yeah. Oh, likewise. And thank you for the work that you are doing. Um, people need someone to tell it to. And I'm very grateful to spread the kind words of what you are doing. And in the meantime, please keep an open ear to the people who need you. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. There's so many things that we could break down after having that conversation with Shola today. I think the one thing that I know I'd like us to just pay particular attention to is just this need that we all have. And it's the need to be heard, the need for someone to tell it to. So if you're unfamiliar with our work up until today, again, welcome. We're just so happy to have you with us and there's someone to tell to family, there's someone to tell to community. You can find out a lot more about our work at someone to tell to.org. Both our, our listening, direct service listening work that we do for individuals, groups, and organizations, but then also our compassionate listening training and education that we do all of our podcasts and and how we help as shola does to create a, a more kind gentle 
compassionate culture. I just want to reiterate something that, that Shola said at the very end of the interview again. You just heard it a few minutes ago, but let's say it again, that listening is the, the key to human interaction, to human understanding, to human relationships, to learning about one another, to having others learn about us, that listening is so vitally important. Um, we believe that very strongly, and um, we appreciate when others believe it and understand it too. So Michael and I have our third book that comes out in the next couple weeks, actually, but you can pre-order right now through our website. If you just go to our website, again, someone2.org, our new book is called Listening 2 by 2 A New Paradigm for Leaders. That's when the magic happens. What, what is a toxic work culture or organizational environment look like, but how to overcome that through listening? And this is something that Shola talks extensively about in his work as well. But uh, we, we know that you will want to read this book because it will help create the kind of culture that we all want to create, a culture that is more kind and generous and compassionate and, and empathetic. And if you liked this episode, and if you've listened or heard other episodes that, uh, of conversations we've had with people, we hope that you'll, you'll consider supporting the work that we do. You can go onto our website and, and, and donate there. Uh, because this work, we, we believe it's very important to, to be able to highlight and bring to light the, um, the people who are, are striving to make this world a, a truly better place through listening, through understanding, through uh, compassion and kindness. Uh, we think it's a key. We really, really do. So we, we cover your support of, of this work so that it can continue and, and that it can grow to help change the world uh, and make it a continually better place. Thanks for being with us. And until we listen again.